This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Jamie Jennings, and I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 13th, episode 2,911, brought to you today by Stateline Tech. Good morning, horse people. Everybody up, rise and shine. It's a new day. It's Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Here we can go again. And away we go. Do you remember, Jamie, a couple of weeks ago we talked about on the show the lady from the Ukraine who turned her five horses loose because, you know, war was coming and she didn't have a way to get them out of the country, so she turned them loose and hoped for the best? Yes. Well, there was a Facebook update on that yesterday. Apparently... You know, the Russians pulled back uh, enough that she could get back into that area, and she found all five of her horses. Wow. Uh, They were in two different locations, but she managed to locate them all. They were in people's yards. Um, So she's trying to find a way to get them all out and to Poland, but uh, she's working on that now. Obviously, she didn't give – she said, I'm not giving any details where I am because – for obvious reasons. Um, but she did find them. And also, supplies are, have started arriving. Uh, the the Ukrainian Equestrian Federation has received trucks of supplies and feed from several countries, including Belgium, UK, Poland. And they're now supplying over 80 stables in the Ukraine. What they're doing is they're moving horses out of the area that's in war, uh, more uh, over toward Poland. And they have some holding centers set up over more toward Poland, apparently 60 to 80 of them, and they're just bringing the horses in there, and that's that's where they're able to supply them through Poland. They can get supplies out because bringing them across the border takes about 40 hours for all of the checks and health things and all that stuff that they're still doing. They just open those borders, man. Just let them. It's, it's so difficult to sit here on this side of the country and watch what's going on and not be able to help. It it's is. just paralyzing. I mean, to help me. horses, people, whatever, you know, it's anything. Just, yeah. I mean, I did some things where I was like, I'll just start renting Airbnbs from people. And I did that uh, Ukrainian Airbnbs like in Kiev and I got all my money returned to me. Yeah. Cause they, uh, cause they, the banks can't, I yeah. don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened. And then, I, so I did go on to Etsy and start buying some uh, like uh, art from people, but it, they send you the link, you know. So I did go do that. Uh, some somebody suggested that, but God, it's just like so. It's just I just why um, never mind. I want I want to help. We've, I want to help them. I want been, our country to help them. We've been the Horse Radio Network donated to the FEI fund, which is the one that is supplying the Ukrainian Equestrian Federation with money, and apparently it's almost two hundred thousand dollars already. Um, so I got to give the U.S. Ukrainian Equestrian Federation credit. They're still operating under these horrible conditions and still trying to do, you know, keep the horses as safe as they can. And that, you know, if you think about it, that the, the USEF's mission is 
competition, right? That's what they do. They're in charge of competition. And that's what the UEF, the Ukrainian Equestrian Federation, did. And now they're turning around to be a rescue organization. And they're stepping up. And, and they they had this list. And apparently there's a master list that they have of everybody that has registered with their horses in the country. And they're putting them as priorities, when to get them out, where to move them to. And they're coordinating all of that. Can you imagine having to set all of that up and coordinate all of that while you're under attack? Uh, and and j- having never done it before, you know, it's, it's just it's, it just breaks my heart. I know. All of it. Well, anyway, uh, so there was a little bit of good news out of the Ukraine um, in our daily dose health report. Doctor Samantha Brooks, we're going to be discussing something. I mean, totally serious today. I think this is so cool. I'm so excited because I always have wondered about this. I'm really excited. I think we talked about this once, but maybe 10 years ago on the show. It, there was a, uh, some studies done on the potential genetic link between whirls. Tell everybody what a whirl is that doesn't know. It's like a little spinny part little, in your horse's yeah, hair yeah. on their forehead, a whirl. You but it's know, more pronounced like, in some horses than others, for sure, you know. And behavior, apparently, there's a connection now between worlds and behavior. So go out and look at what Zeus's is. <laughs> See how pronounced this world is. I know, right? I'm going to bring you the – it's my history time of the month, and I'm going to be bringing you the history of saddles, digging back into ancient times. And we have some mighty weird news coming up as well. So all of that on today's show. The post show, I asked the auditors what they wanted to talk about, and so far the comments have not been helpful. But we'll see what <laughs> happens by the time – maybe we'll talk about the comments – in the post show. That's what we'll do. But in the meantime, we have some daily winnies to get to. We only have one birthday, Jamie, and that's host Christy Landwehr of the CHA episode once a month here for like the last eight or nine years. It's her birthday, so happy birthday to Christy. But that's it. That's all the birthdays we have today. So, truth be told, I was a little late getting up here this morning, Glenn. And I'm going to tell you why. Because we have had, you know that song... Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping yeah, down the plain. Yeah, I was oh just glad god. you were still alive this morning, to be honest. Oh my god, the wind! So apparently, the heart's out to everybody south of me and north of me mm. who experienced severe weather last night. What came from the north and came from the south on the edges of that is wind, gusting, insane. Wind and for the past, I mean, it's been a couple weeks, but yesterday and then today were insane. However, I made the great decision that I had some time yesterday because of the wind to go up to Guthrie and pick up two new training horses. So there's horses in every nook and cranny of my farm right now, Glenn, because I also had a woman bring her horse in yesterday because she brings it in to use my farrier. So her horse is here. He's leaving today. And then I also have a person who went from, you know, when you leave a boarding facility, you just, you're ready to get out like sometimes. And then, but her new boarding facility isn't ready until the 30th. And she called me and she's like, I just need a place for him for a couple of weeks. I just need to get out. I was like, dude, I've been there. I get it. Come on over. So I have a massive amount of my own horses at this point with purchasing Ace and Julie. Then I have a Clydesdale 
that is here in training. And then I have these two thoroughbreds I brought in yesterday and these two horses that are reported and it's insane. And so what I have to do, because I have a round bell on the big field for all my horses, these horses now have to be fed individually in the morning. Enter wind. Okay. I don't know why. Like it, It's not coming from one direction, Glenn. It's coming like, okay. So I have to throw alfalfa out into the paddock of the thoroughbreds. So I'm like, okay, which way is the wind going? I need to stand upwind so I can throw the hay <laughs> yeah, we've all into the pasture. <laughs> so I'm like, I walk over to the field and I chuck out one bale of alfalfa, which, you know, has all the little tiny things in it. Yep. And I throw it out into the field. And at for some reason, the good Lord decided to whip that wind back around the other way and it came right in my face like bam in my face and fell to the ground so now i'm having to scoop up alfalfa and push it out into the field while i'm blinded and can't see and i was like forget it so i'm going to the other side of to go through the barn around the other side to around the paddock to throw in the other flick of hay and i walk around there i throw another flick of hay bam right in the face <laughs> like i was like wait it was just windy on the other side <laughs> So then I have to walk out. We've talked about hay in the bra before. I'm imagining that's one of those days. This is oh my god! (laughs) Fortunately, I still had my pajamas on, so it just went right down into my pants. Okay. So I know. I wish I would have had a video of this scene. Oh my god! If this was on video, like I need a ring camera in my barn just so y'all can laugh at the crap that happens to me down there. So then I have to go out to the field and feed the Clydesdale. But because the wind is blowing it, it's going to blow right out of the field. So I got to go into the field all the way to the middle and dump out some hay. Well, said Clydesdale is very hungry. So that was fun. Uh, I'm like running in flip flops and pajamas <laughs> through the field, carrying hay going, don't, 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 don't. <laughs> Yes, I wish uh, I could video this. Uh, <laughs> if people had video of what happened in my house in the morning, I haven't had coffee yet. I've, I want to talk like, to you about the Clydesdale uh, later, though, how the training's going in that. We'll talk about okay. that later in the show. I want to find okay. out because you know me. I'm a draft horse lover, so i got to so, hear about all yeah, that. Yeah, so basically I had to come into the barn and flush my eyes out <laughs> because I actually looked at the bar. You know, you see the corner of your eyes. I had actually green alfalfa in my eyeballs. So I did like flush. Well, so Glenn's like, I, when are you getting here? And I was like, just give me three. I, I just typed in the well, letter, the number three. Well, you is- type in three minutes, M-I-N. And when I get that, I've gotten that a lot. So when I get that text, which says three minutes, <laughs> I know it's 20. Uh, because uh. that's horse girl time. When they say three minutes, they really mean 20. If well, you're I didn't lucky, know. it's 10, maybe. I needed one of those science classroom eye washes. <laughs> oh, God, I forgot about those. <laughs> to fill, to clean my eyeballs out. So the, little ca- the little cup thing that looks like yes. your eyeball. <laughs> yes. All horse people need one of those in their tag room, not for a Bunsen burner incident, but for an actual hay in the eyeball incident, okay? Well, I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. <sighs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Here. I, I fully expect one of these days to see you and your little dog fly by, fly by. So, I mean, that's what one of these days I expect to see that. I'll be on the bicycle. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Or the the broom handle, one or the other. She's going to be coming by. State Line Tack is going to be at Land Rover along with Jamie. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit, too, because you've pretty much solidified now where you're all going to be meeting and doing stuff. So, yes. Can I just say it real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, Open Barn and Barbecue is at New Vocations on Friday night. 
30 bucks, you get drink tickets and there's like a band and there's a, a whole like Rosie and Pravnik's going to be doing a demo. It's going to be awesome. And, and it all supports the new vocation horses. Saturday morning, 30 minutes before the first horse goes off on cross country at the start box. So if you want to hang out and what we do is we kind of watch the horses warm up and then we watch them ahead of the start box. And we start box jump or two. jump one? It was always jump one before. I think we did Starbucks, whatever, somewhere around there. They're real close okay. to each other. Starbucks jumps one 30 minutes before the first horse goes out so we can hang out and take some pictures, do some stuff. And then we just start walking and everybody kind of does their own thing after, you know, jump eight or something. But we stick together for a while and hang out. And so it's really fun. So anyway, that's where we'll be. Okay. Well, State Line Tax going to be in the old indoor arena, booth 224. They're the largest booth in there. You can't miss them. They're on the top level. And they're going to be having sales on Gatsby, Da Vinci, Oak Brands, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there if you're at, uh, at Land Rover, Kentucky, ugly, in a couple y'all. of weeks. <laughs> it's going to be expensive weekend for everybody. And then if you're not going, right now they're having a turnout blanket and sheet sale on all the turnout blankets they had left. We used to do that every year too because we needed to get them out of the warehouse so if you've if your horse tore is up this winter it was a tough winter in a lot of places head on over there now they have one two five pages of sales right now going on in blankets anywhere from 35 to 50 percent off and certain sizes so you want to get over there early because they do run out they will not be replacing those and we were always so happy when to get those out of the out of the warehouse and get room for the summer stuff that came in so statelinetac.com is where you find that I just wiped my nose and a piece of green came out, so you know. (laughs) And now it's time for Glenn's History Segment, a semi-interesting look at random horsey things throughout the ages. Thank you, Jennifer. So we're today going to be talking about the history of saddles. So we think horses were domesticated between 6,000 and 4,000 BC. Nobody's quite sure they weren't writing a lot of things down back then. Uh, but we, Cave drawings, that's pretty much what <laughs> we've got. That's what we had. But we know that humans rode bareback for thousands of years after they were domesticated. Um, and the furthest documented saddles were probably fringed pieces of cloth that started showing up around 700 B.C. And they started showing up in these drawings that, that we had in the Middle East. And that was all it was, was a, a piece of cloth. So basically, instead of riding bareback, they said, hey, let's put a piece of cloth in there. Maybe it'd be more comfortable. So they did that. But like with anything else with humans, uh, they had to add things to the pieces of cloth. So they would add gold and jewels and elaborate details. And that was basically to show off their status. <gasps> they like invented equestrian Tack bling. bling. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And it was to show off how rich you were and all of that stuff. So uh, also warriors back then would put bling on their saddle pads. Let's call them saddle cloths. They would put uh, they would put bling on it basically to show off how cool they were. So and there's a- I want to I want to pause real quick yeah. because what I'm you, you're skipping ahead. I want to think it. Let's just all think about the first human that saw a horse and was like, I'm going to ride that. You've got a wild horse and you've got a human that's never ridden. How did they get anything done? <laughs> well, per- Not only am I going to gentle it, I'm going to teach myself to ride on the horse. On the horse, right. That has never had a rider. Yeah, we don't have bridles and bits and saddles and things back then, so you have that problem too. So in a tomb found in Siberia dated 600 B.C., 
They found a saddle cover that was intricately decorated with animal motifs made from leather, felt, hair, and gold. And that was the first evidence that they had of these saddle pads or these saddle cloths was out of a tomb in Siberia. And it was well-preserved because it was Siberia and it was freezing cold, so it was well-preserved. Nomads were the first to design a saddle with a frame and make it more solid by adding details. So they added a girth, a pommel, and a cantle, leather thong, a crupper, a breastplate, a breastplate, um, stirrups. No stirrups yet, and that is believed to be from about 500 BC, as best they could tell. Um, several others followed suit, each and every one developing their own type of kind of saddle. The Han, the Han Dynasty in China, around 200 BC, were the first to design a model that were made of a material covering the wood frame. So they were riding on these basically wood frames and and wooden saddles uh, before that, and then I want the ch- my horses to stop complaining about <laughs> saddle fit. Okay, yeah, exactly. So the Chinese went, oh, that's not comfortable. Let's put some leather on it, and that's basically or or material. It wasn't even made necessarily leather. It could have been cloth, padded cloth. At the same time, 200 BC now we're talking about, the Romans were over there, and they were the first ones to create a four-horn saddle. Now, have you ever seen a four-horn saddle? I use one on the daily one. (laughs) It had a horn basically in all four corners. And that was solidified with wood as well. And that saddle greatly improved comfort for both horse and rider because it distributed the rider's weight instead of having the person's seat bones digging the horse's back, and they were able to balance better, but still no stirrups. It's- Don't jump. <laughs> the, now, that's, I got an interesting story about that, too. So it was called the Roman Cavalry Saddle, and it had no stirrups. So it had the four horns and the four corners, and you could hold, you could hold on, and or you could ride without any hands at all, which let your hands free for shield and sword and spear and javelins and all the stuff the Romans used to kill people. Uh, if you became unseated, they would train. It was hard to get on. Think about there's four large pommels in each corner. How do you get on the thing? So they, they had evidence that they trained their riders to mount the horse at a canter by vaulting on. So yep. there you go. You had, okay. to be pretty, you had to be in pretty good shape to do that. I imagine the Roman soldiers were in pretty good shape. So most of the other major developments came during the Middle Ages. Uh, since the need for comfort during war, that's what really guided a lot of those developments, you had, in the Middle Ages, you had armor coming in. Armor was heavy. The average armor for a soldier who was fully armored was 80 to 120 pounds, in addition to the weight of the soldier. That's the reason they would jack you up on a crane and drop you onto the horse because you couldn't get on otherwise. So all of that weight... They needed something to balance, and they, so they had a higher cantle and a pommel, so that allowed the rider to be more secure in the seat, and it had a stronger wood or wooden frame that could carry carry the heavier weight. But remember, we think about we think about these old knights being on big horses, as we learned recently on the show. That wasn't the case; they were on average size horses. They weren't on the big draft horses back then. So, can you imagine? We talk about uh, horses carrying a lot of weight now. Now to the stirrups. The earliest known use of stirrups is 200 BC, and they were small loops of material attached to the saddles, and they only fit your big toe. And that was invented in India and was likely made of leather. And they found on a seal, on a painting on a seal, in a tomb in India, the image of a rider using one of these. 
So that's how they kind of know that these were, but you're only your big toe went through it. Now, why somebody didn't go, well, you could made it a little <laughs> bigger, bigger and I could put my foot through it. I don't know. I don't know why they didn't have one. Wow. In China, another artifact was found in the Jin Dynasty tomb, and that was in 302 after AD, and it was of a single stirrup. So they actually found a stirrup. That was the first recorded stirrup found in a tomb, and that was in 302, again, the Chinese. The first recorded mention of stirrups was in 580, and that was in the Byzantine military manual mentioned stirrups. So they really became came into use uh, in the three to five hundreds after, after Christ's death. And then the stirrup is credited. This is the last thing. It's credited for the reason that Genghis Khan took over the world. They really give that to the stirrup. And that was in around 1206. And Genghis Khan claimed the largest land empire under his rule. And many historians believed that the power of the cavalry was due to the technological breakthrough. And that was metal stirrups. He was the first one recorded to use metal stirrups. And for your whole foot, not just your toe. Uh, and he had the best... They say to probably today the best cavalry ever, ever in the history of the world was Genghis Khan. He had archers and he had all of the units uh, were broken out. And if you've ever watched, uh, what was that TV show? It was about Genghis Khan. We talked about it a long time ago. It was, I think it was called Genghis Khan. No, it was um, Marco Polo. That's what it was called, because it was about Marco Polo's visiting Genghis Khan. But that really showed that in in that movie, all of the... the uh, Calvaries and things that he had, and the reason he was able to take over most of the world at that time. So there you go. What I'm going to do in future history segments is I'm going to talk about the history of the English saddle and the Western saddle and how they got started. Ooh. But there is your history of how saddles began, but you're right. Imagine riding back then. First of all, you had loincloths and not much else. So you had that problem. Uh, and then you just uh, decide to ride one of these horses. By the way, before riding them, they pretty much, you know, ate them. That's what they were doing with horses, So, uh, from what I read. So uh, they finally figured out, hey, instead of eating them, let's see if we can do something more useful with them. So there you go. The history of saddles. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm just going to basically tell Zeus to shut up and stop complaining. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. This saddle has been custom fitted to <laughs> your right. sorry self. And here you are complaining about having something that may or may not, like a princess in the pea. There's a pea underneath the bottom mattress. I can feel it. I can't sleep. Yeah. Like, give me a break. And you know, these saddle, the wooden saddles they were making back then, the first ones that had nothing on them, they weren't, prob- I mean, they were probably sculpted. To sort of fit, but I can't imagine. I think that. I can envision like a two by four and another two by four, like in an X, <laughs> in and an then X. they tied them together with like rope, yeah. and then another one and tie those together, and then tie those together, and there's your saddle. That just sounds like a cheap. <laughs> they didn't way have to get duct around. tape back then, so it was probably a form of bailing twine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, this health segment is brought to you by Daily Dose Equine. I'm really excited to learn about this because I just know nothing about it, but I'm always interested. And we are going to talk about whorls and the links to behavioral genetics with Dr. Samantha Brooks from the University of Florida Genetics Lab. Dr. Brooks, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Exciting topic. Uh, what on earth has made you think, let's take something that's an old wives' tale and see if it's actually science? <laughs> it is an old wives' tale. Uh, in fact, one of the oldest publications examining this theory goes back to 1908. So oh. horse people have been looking at these funny 
little hair swirls on a horse's forehead and drawing conclusions from it for literally over a century. Well, for those who don't remember, if you haven't read Marguerite Henry's King of the Wind, they discuss the whirls on Sham before he even comes over about the, how fast. That's the first time I was ever introduced to it. So uh, I guess, has it been going on even longer? It's just that's when it was published? Well, it certainly reached uh, the public kind of consciousness at that point because those books were so fantastically popular, right? Right. But it goes back even even further than that, and you start to to um, look at some of the mythology, particularly around Arabian horses, and they had some some mythology about um, hair whirls and, and markings on the body, too, that they thought were, would made a horse lucky, for sure, but also um, were related to, to other valuable traits of the horse, like courageousness and behavior. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure Marguerite Henry didn't make that up, so it had to be somewhere and along the lines somebody had <laughs> talked about it. But so, so what did you? How did you begin this this study? So what we do here at UF is we are actually, um, you know, the the hard part about behavior is it's difficult to measure. So we are, in our work, are developing new ways to measure behavior. And you know, as a horse person, you know, you've got horse temperament plus gravity equals a really bad day sometimes, right? right. So from our standpoint, we really thought that spook would be the most, um, one of the, the top priority behavioral traits in the horse since it results in potentially serious injury. So we're working on measuring that in a large group of quarter horses. And I think by the time we finish our study, we might be able to address some of these myths about hair whirl pattern. Um, but in the meantime, there are several researchers who have, have investigated it in the horse. Um, the, the, Probably the gold standard study was done by Temple Grandin, and she investigated which direction a horse would spook and uh, found a correlation between the horse's preferred shoulder to spook away from a rapidly opening umbrella and the direction of the, the hair whirl on their head. Wow. So, with good, with good statistics. Now, it's not a strong correlation. didn't happen all the time. But, um, you know, it was, it was a well-done study. And her work uh, was established previously in a very conclusive uh, experiment done in 1,500 cattle. Uh, and in that large sample size, she documented a tendency to get agitated in the the chute, so we work cattle through gates and pens, uh, they call that a chute, and the cattle that got more agitated often had a hair whirl that was above the level of their eyes on their skull compared to one that was below. And interestingly enough, that trend was true regardless of the background of the breed of the particular set of cattle. So that's our most conclusive piece of, of evidence. From our standpoint here at UF, you know, we think this is all great, um, but we want to get to the question of, okay, what, why does that correlation occur and what are the genetics behind it, 
right? Right. So in, in biology, the, the hypothesis that kind of gives a, this kernel of truth to this myth that's been around for centuries has to do with the very, very early stages of embryonic development. Um, so you start out as an egg, right? Right. <laughs> and then the magic happens, and that egg starts to divide, and, and two cells become four, and four become eight, right? So we're going all the way back to the beginning here. And at some point, as those cells divide, they need to get from that circular shape into the shape of an embryo. And, and they have to have just the right layers of cell types in that embryo in order for everything to work the way it should. And some cells, uh, like skin cells, will come from one cell type and, and, and other cells come from another. So the organization at that level is critical and influences a lot of traits later on in development. So that embryo that's a circle or a sphere eventually kind of flattens out and ironically enough curls around into a taco shape and from the taco shape merges those top edges and becomes a tube. We, we call that the, the neural tube. And uh, lots of interesting cell types and cell organization are a result of that tube formation. Um, the, the cells at the top of that taco become something called the neural crest. And they're important for all sorts of uh, traits, including one of my other favorite topics, uh, pigmentation. So mm -hmm. all the pigment on your body and on your horse's body come from a set of cells in that neural crest that start in that tiny little embryo at the top of that taco shape and then migrate out across the body. So the, the hypothesis here is that subtle changes in the organization of those cell types will, might be visible in the direction of a hair whirl. You know, did the taco fold left to right or right to left? And does that change? Can you see that in the hair whirl? But does that also influence the arrangement of cell types in, say, the brain? Oh, my God. My mind is blown. I have so many questions. First of all... <clears throat> <laughs> All right. So I, for, for now, this is my third attempt to create a black cult out of my chestnut mare, third black stallion I've bred her to. And, and so far I've had a chestnut and a bay. This next one is due in about a month. Is there any way I can affect pigmentation of said no. baby? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a good question. And you know, there's a whole there's a whole other connection between color and behavior in that that chestnut gene in people, when it's altered, it changes the way they perceive pain and, and the depth of um of alleviation of pain that they get from some opioid analgesic drugs. So there's Wait a that. minute, but, so redheads um, react differently is what you're saying? They do, they do, and they had some very interesting studies where they do all sorts of crazy things, like uh, they take study human people, study volunteers, and they give them a very mild electrical shock on their shins, <laughs> and oh, they raise the pain. up. <laughs> I know, right? Well, you know, you're a college student. They probably got some ramen noodles and some pocket money for it. <laughs> who knows, right? Um, but yes, those who had an MC1R variant in humans and same horses also have MC1R variants and it results in red hair, they perceive that pain differently. So I would love to ask my chestnut horses if they have this reputation. Well, okay, but do they receive spicy because of that? Is it worse or better <laughs> in the redheads? Do they feel oh, more pain more or less? Sensitive. Worse. 
Oh yeah. yeah. They they feel yeah, they feel that pain more intensely, but then when they gave them a pain reliever, a drug that has some interaction with the same cell surface receptor pathways that that this MC1R gene acts on, they didn't get as much relief from that pain relieving drug. It's just to me this this that wasn't even necessary to study. We all have chestnuts, and we all realize that they're just more sensitive. So that's interesting. Well, it's true. It's true. But sometimes you know people we're really good at finding patterns where patterns don't necessarily exist. So it's always good to do a little bit of myth busting and make sure we understand things. And then you know if we know the biochemistry, maybe that means from a veterinary standpoint, we need to think differently about the pharmacodynamics of the things that we treat our chestnut horses with. Absolutely. That's so cool. That's why they pay you the big bucks. See, here's my next question. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Is how much, like you talk about the spooky horses. Did you determine anything genetically with spooky? I have one horse that came to me uh, that I have right now and she is spooky at like, yeah. And she doesn't boulder spook. She just, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Everything is really spooky. But she <laughs> also was seriously abused before she came to me. So how much of it is human handling and how much of it is genetic? Because I have her brother, and he doesn't. he's not scared of anything. <laughs> well, that's an excellent question. And, and, and because that is such a great question, that's why we have actually developed our, a whole line of research on this. Um, so some of these hair whirl publications, they're trying to get at that idea that if hair whirls are genetic and behavior is genetic and they're both related to the organization of cells in early development, does that mean that we can learn more about the genetics of behavior from this easy-to-observe surface trait? And the research so far to date, it really is a pretty much a mixed bag. Um, we do see some subtle correlations between behavior and hair whorls, and there's some genetic interplay in both of those traits. But unfortunately, research funding in the horse is so difficult to obtain, nobody has yet been able to really conclusively um, measure that. So there are some good papers doing uh, candidate evaluations of genes, for example, in uh, there's a dopamine receptor, DRD4, that... Uh, Based on survey results, the, a group of scientists in Japan detected a difference in the horses, what they called a, a trait that was the difference between curiosity and vigilance. So how willing that horse was to investigate new things versus a little standoffish. Um, and that, that association has proven fairly strong. And there's a few others underway. But um, where our research has chosen to sort of launch off of that foundational work is to ask this question from a very fundamental standpoint. How much of it is genetic? And without making assumptions about, oh, we expect it to be a dopamine or serotonin neurotransmitter, what can we learn about this trait? Um, So our project is ongoing, and hopefully I'll be able to keep it going. Um, Research funding is always difficult to, to find, especially for horses, especially for behavior, ironically enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far, my PhD student presented some preliminary data at one of our conferences where she measured the proportion of genetic variance for the subconscious part of a spook. So, you know, if somebody jumps up behind you and tickles you in the ribs and you didn't know they were coming, you blink and your heart starts to race before you have ever consciously 
recognized a potential threat, right? That's what we call the subconscious reflexive part of startle or fear. But then after that, you make a conscious decision that's based a little bit on the context of the environment and your learned behaviors, your, your history of life experiences, that's going to determine whether you go to that sort of classical fight or flight response. So do you run away or do you turn around and punch that person in the face? <laughs> yeah, you're, um, you're describing me. I am very spooky. Yeah. And then once I get spooked, I get angry. So like I, my sure. flight turns to fight. So that might be genetic as well. Uh, I scared my wife maybe. once and got hit. I wasn't doing that again. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> there learned. you go. Life experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Now so, he knows. So we're doing doing the forehead studies. Like my Andalusian has a swirl like behind almost where the girth goes on the left side of his body. And somebody said that was where like the placenta maybe was attached. And so and then he's never going to be good to the left because of that swirl. Is all that garbage or are you working on that? Well, I, as far as the rib cage swirl, we don't have much data there yet. It's definitely not where the placenta attached. That we're pretty sure about. Um, okay, cool. But could have been could have been influenced a little bit by maternal environment. So I wouldn't discount it there. Um, our our preliminary data shows that the um, the proportion of genetics that influences that reflexive spookiness the part that's subconscious that we detect primarily in looking at their heart rate is as much as 60% due to genes. So almost two-thirds genetic and one-third due to other things like environment. How how crazy. Again, I have siblings. And if you ever need a study, I got a sibling (laughs) set here. And one is the chillest and non-spooky thing in the world. And the other one is like, oh, my God, everything's going to kill me. So if you ever need help, (laughs) (laughs) let me know. I'll have a I'll have a a big pot of uh, horses for you to choose from out here in Oklahoma. Oh, absolutely. Sounds sounds like a fantastic idea. I love sibling sets, right? But <laughs> you can imagine if that, if that initial spookiness is controlled just by a couple of genes, then it starts to sort out in a, in a very um, discreet fashion in what we call a Mendelian kind of trait, where like chestnut and black, they're sort of one way or the other because there's really just one or two genes, couple flips of the coin that determine a large proportion of that phenotype, wow. right? That is so, so cool. In our studies, though, we, you know, exactly. that It could be, it, that would be an exciting tool for the industry to have so that, you know, like your flighty uh, mare, you know, if you could test her, if, if it is genetic, so I'll get to the second part here soon, but if you needed to, to sell her, or if you're looking to purchase a mare like her, um, imagine if you can run a genetic test and you can look at her sensitivity and determine, oh, she's, you know, some horses are just dead quiet regardless of the environment, in part due to their own predisposition. And the dead quiet ones, maybe you purchase for the 4-H'er or the, the new rider, but the more sensitive ones are probably preferred by professionals or folks who are working in some, some high action disciplines like cutting and cow horses and barrel racing, things like that. So I think these traits still circulate in the horse population because we value them for different things. You know, Holstein mm-hmm. cattle, pretty uniform you know, in terms of, <laughs> at least compared to horses, they're pretty uniform in their, in their behavior because we've selected them for one specific 
direction, one specific prototype. But horses, we all like them for different reasons. So, well, the, the thing it, about Holstein cattle is saddle fit is super difficult. So. Yeah. It is. It is. It is pretty tough, right? Well, you know, it's hard to also get them to telling them right apart. Canter lead as they come into the parlor. <laughs> exactly. Well, where can people? We've run out of time, but I got. I could talk to you about this for hours. Where can people go and find this article and learn more about you and what you do? Right. So um, our work is still ongoing, but we do have a couple papers published on coat color, and actually, we did find a small association between behavior and that black color that you're after. Actually, we were looking in Tennessee walking horses, but our black horses, particularly the black mares, were um, more um, independent. And uh, so there you go. Maybe you're I love it. Black coat Girl color, power. For good, for good reason. But uh, exactly, right? Um, but our website might be the best place to go right now. And our, our behavior project is still ongoing. And if any of your listeners out there want to help support us in that, they're welcome to send us an email or check out our Donate Now button because we are this, – this project in particular is, is just a, a, a pet project for myself and my Ph.D. student because we're both horse people and, and we've all had those – those special horses who are a little bit flighty and, and it's triggered our curiosity and now we're particularly keen to, to follow it up. So our, our website is UF equine genetics, all one word.org. Fantastic. Dr. Brooks, thank you so much for being on. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hanging out here with the mad scientist who developed daily dose equine horse feed formulas, Janet Geyer. And you might wonder, whenever I get my horse feed delivered to my door in Maryland or Texas or California or Missouri, am I getting the same horse feed? And the answer is? The answer is that it is always the same formula, always the same horse feed. We don't change ingredients. Uh, we are a fixed formula feed mill. So one of our auditors named April from Texas, who we both met and spent some time with. Love her. Uh, had gotten a couple of draft horses who apparently are like Mutt and Jeff. They're completely different. One of them's being a Zeus, apparently. The Percheron is, is escaping all the time. But she sent the other one, the Clydesdale, up to you for training. And how's that going? You're enjoying having an 18-hander around? Or? Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you something. I thank God every day that my assistant is six foot four. <laughs> Because I don't know how I can do this. Uh, it's it's she's huge, and I must admit, in the world of being five two, she scared me a little bit at first. You know, because she's a little bit when she got here, she's a little bit like. Well, let's start like, with her head is bigger than your whole body. So it <laughs> is. She's just massive. But now that she's settled down and everything, she is a big puppy dog. I just adore her. She's doing great. Um, first day was join up, you know, she's not one that can canter around for a, a 20 minutes in the round pin, you know, like our join ups, we just send her out at a trot. They just trot, you know, and so the trot is kind of her go-to. So she came to me, she's a, a driving Clydesdale, but April wants to make her a riding Clydesdale, uh, along with the driving. So to get her backed, I was like, that should be fairly easy. Uh, what I didn't realize, Glenn, was that you know, when I would get close to her body with an object, she would be very scared of it. 
And what we realized is that she's had blinders on. Mm -hmm. So when anything got close, it just disappeared. So it's been a bit of a a project to get things close and touching her body without her flinching because her skin twitches, just twitch. But she's a very sweet mare that she doesn't act out. She just, you could just tell she's scared. So we've worked on that. We, uh, Barrett and I, Fernboy and I have worked on it quite a bit. And uh, yesterday I was able to get a a flag all over her body. Not just one of those little baby flags. My friend in Wales sent me a huge Welsh flag because she uses it to train. And I was like, that's not fair. That's so cool. I wish I had one of those. And I got one in the mail and I was like, challenge accepted. They have cool flags too. (laughs) And they're awesome. She calls it the flappy dragon. So it's got a big dragon on it and I've got it all over her. We, on day three, we were able to get a rider up day two. She wore, wore buck the bear. So it's really progressing really quickly. Um, and now that she's settled down after join up, she's like, okay, we're all friends. I'm, I'm really pleased with how things are going. If it was not 700 mile an hour wind out there, I'd have ridden her already today, but we'll, we'll see. I think it's supposed to calm down this afternoon. So I'll do some are more you with using her. A full size step ladder to get on. So Farway actually said, he goes, is the first horse I've ever actually needed a mounting block for. <laughs> He's used to those quarter horses. They're the 15 and a half hand quarter horses. He, well, he, he, he's been riding Zeus for me. He's like, finally, a normal size horse around here. And I'm like, he's a little one. He's 15 one. He's the little one. Um, but I'm really, it's really exciting to be able to play with a different horse. Can I just also, uh, so the horse is doing great. The, somebody who's asking me the difference is, is starting a horse and starting a driving horse is the long lining is easy. Yeah. yeah wow. You can, like you she, can do that everywhere. <laughs> she goes, stops and turns. One thing April was talking about is that when they do put her in the cart, she's been a workhorse. So she trot, 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 just trots and doesn't have a walk. So we've been Did working she come on just from the Amish. Do you know? No, not from the Amish. Okay. She was up at like a, some other kind of working farm. And they tend to trot. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so she just trots. That's her go-to speed. So we're working on walking and she, and she's going to start to appreciate that. And, and her driving is great. And so today she's going to be driven out in the whole big arena, maybe around the pasture. But again, there's so much that's new to her because she can actually see behind her now. You know, I don't, I mean, I'm assuming there's a reason you people put blinders well, on that's your horse. Because, it's because of the cart following, you know, that's, you know, they, they did that also traffic. They didn't want to see the horses. They didn't want to see the traffic coming up on them. Yeah. But then later on, when they're not wearing the blinders, everything (laughs) is scary. So I'm going to start a movement, much like they did in Black Beauty. Get rid of the check rein. Get rid of the blinders, people. Now, Train we, your horses. We couldn't use scooter. Couldn't use full full blinkers. It was too. It was too much for him. He Is it blinkers handle. or blinders? Uh, either one. Uh, okay, because in race horses, it's blinkers. Yeah, I mean, you could use, say either one, but uh, we we couldn't use fulls with him because he didn't like not being able to. He would hear it and he'd want to see it. Yeah. For him, it was better to see it. So we use the half ones. They make half ones, so he can see to the side, but he can't see me behind him. Um, that's probably good. Yeah. <laughs> so the only, the only, uh, that's, so that's the only difference, but he does well in those that he has no problem with, but he can turn his head and see the whole way around. Whereas it is, with, with yeah. full blinders or blinkers on, you can't see the whole way around, you know? Uh, yeah, well, that's interesting. I'd never thought about that actually. Um, yeah. So it just makes everything, uh, it's so much as new. I was like putting a saddle on her should be no problem because she's had a collar put on her, you know, and no, 
walking to her with a saddle pad or with a saddle because we started in my little English one and then we've moved to the Western one because it fits uh, her girth area. She's a lady. I don't want what to tell tales. Need about an eighty-two girth. <laughs> she's she's a big girl. Uh, so no, the problem is, is April sent me these dressage saddles, like Wintech dressage, and the dressage girth is. I mean, almost have to use a regular girth. It's it, it's insane. It's huge. Anyway, she's a big girl. Um, That's fun so, for you. That's something different, anyway. It is. Yeah. It is. What's really cool is that the, just the different breeds that I've been teaching. You know, I had a Gypsy Vanner before, and I had the, Which you is know, more like I've a draft horse, right? They act like more like a draft horse. A gypsy draft pony. Yeah, add pony in there. Okay, that's fun. <laughs> uh, so it, it's just been really exciting to have all these different breeds. Now, let me let me talk about April. Yeah. Just for a second. <laughs> so April comes here to bring this horse, Josie. J O Z E. She didn't want to confuse it with Robin's Josie. So Josie arrives here and it's April's birthday. So guess what happens the night of April's birthday here in Oklahoma is the chicken auction. Okay. (laughs) Chicken auction. Uh, So she wants to go. And I'm like, I just went to the chicken auction two weeks ago. I can't pause. It's my birthday. Okay, fine. But I'm drinking this time. Uh, So we get to the chicken auction. And she's like, I want to buy two chickens and two, uh, d- two chickens and one rabbit. I'm like, okay. So we get there. And of course, like I saw some, there was some baby, ch- they do baby chicks before the big chickens. And there was some frizzled baby chicks and I bid $2. Did I tell you this? No. It said they were going for $2 and you can go up and pick what you want. So the frizzled chickens come out. I'm like, oh, I want some frizzled chickens. They're so unique. I have like $2 and I go up and I'm like, I'll take two. And they're like, you can't take two. You just bought the lot. <laughs> I'm, what? No, no, no. I just need two. No, uh, you can't have two. You bought the lot. How many were in the lot? Uh, there's 15. <laughs> Frizzle chickens, unsexed. Could be roosters, could be in. This was after you had just bought the other chickens at the other auction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted two. How many chickens like, do you have two. now? It's not important, Glenn. Um, that's like asking a girl. You don't even need eggs. Oh my God, we have so we have eggs everywhere. I mean, they're <laughs> everywhere, Glenn. The Easter is going to be like a real thing here. Like, really, go please go find some eggs because they're everywhere. They lay them on my table. They're I already the, colored, so you don't have to worry about that. I open the grain bin and there's a freaking egg on top of my grain. Like I left the thing open for 15 minutes while I was feeding up one hopped in late. Anyway, they're active. Let me get back to the story of April. Okay. So April comes and she, we start consuming her husband's there and he's not drinking. So it's good. Uh, so she and I start drinking. We're having a ball and she sees these two rabbits on the table and she just buys two rabbits. Now, at this point, I have 15 frizzled chickens and, and other things because then things, when you drink, things get really cute. Yeah, see, that was a like, bad idea. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah, terrible. But she buys these two rabbits. And, she's like, and I was like, oh, so, so I, I wasn't even sitting next to her. And I come back. She's got these rabbits. I'm like, I think you're going to buy one rabbit. She's like, but they're, they were together and they're really sweet looking. So I bought both. I was like, okay. So she comes back to my house. She's got a hotel room for the night, so she leaves all of her things that she's purchased in my garage. Next morning, Lucas comes down. Let's see what you got, Mama. I want to see the chicks, you know, because at this point, I'm like, I have 15 frizzle chickens. Like, uh, so she comes down, and he's looking at the chicks, and he goes, oh, my God. 
there's rabbits. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, they're not ours. They belong to April. So April's going to take this rabbit home. April comes. Oh, my God, April, I love your rabbit. The gray one is so cute. She goes, you can have it. <laughs> I'm like, no. excuse me. Excuse me. And she was like, can he have the rabbit? And I was like. Hell no, he can't have the rabbit. I got <laughs> 4,000 chickens, baby ducks. I've got two guinea pigs and 900 horses that are currently on my property. I do not need a freaking rabbit. Okay, fine. Hey, Lucas, if you can get your parents to say yes, you can have the rabbit. <laughs> like what? You are not his grandmother. You don't get to just give my child that. Yeah. So, so then he comes up, Mom, I really want the rabbit. I want it. He's holding it. You know, and it's like he's holding it like a, a woman holds her infant baby. Like, oh, my God, I love it so much. And April's like, how's it going, Lucas? Did you get it? I'm like, April, get out of the car. Go home. Oh, my God. Take the rabbit. So um, Lucas says, Mom. I've got to talk dad into this because he knows I'm a sucker. I've already pet the rabbit. I love the rabbit, but I don't want to take care of the rabbit. So all this happens. Says, mom, I got to talk dad into this. What do I do? And I said, dude, I mean, you know, I don't really want you to have the rabbit, but <laughs> if you're going to talk to dad, you need to name the rabbit something daddy likes. I'm like, have you learned nothing from me, child? <laughs> so he walks up to dad and he goes, daddy, but Viper needs a home. Do you know what Viper is? That's what they call F-16s. My kid is a freaking genius. So that's guess what we have now. Viper the rabbit. Rabbit, yeah. I saw lots of pictures. He seems to be spending a great deal of time with the rabbit. Oh, yeah, because I told him if he doesn't, when when Josie gets picked up, the rabbit goes home. (laughs) (laughs) So you got a couple weeks yet. Yeah, exactly. You better prove your love. But actually, I love the rabbit. It's so sweet. And actually, now I've read that rabbits need company. So I'm in the market for like another tiny bunny (laughs) for me. Because Viper needs a friend. (sighs) I think I better do this or you're going to end up with more animals. Time to learn why some days you're embarrassed to be part of the human race. In Jamie's Weird News. That was probably post-show worthy discussion. I didn't mean to go off on that, but yes, now I have a damn rabbit. Anyway, um, these are weird news stories. When we come that out to sent. visit you, you know that we're going to make you go to the auction, and it isn't the, for the animals. I saw your pictures. I want to watch the people at that. Auction. Oh my god, it's amazing! It is amazing. <laughs> I, I don't know how that everybody's not drinking. It's crazy. <laughs> there are like barefoot children running around. I'm like it's like midnight on a school. Is what? Well, I, I just want to go for people watching this. Just yeah, hopefully it's not happening. We'll when bring our alcohol and we'll go watch people. I think that'd be great. Um, weird news is, is it's a segment where, you know, if you see something in the news and you're like, Oh, that's really weird. That is what you do is you take that link and you email it to Jamie at horse radio network.com with weird news in the subject line. Like all these people did. Are you ready? Just a couple weeks. I'm ready. Worth. Let's do it. Alicia, Tamara, or Tamara, Laura, Cynthia, Allie, Glenn, that's you, Andrew, Aaron, <laughs> Thanks for clarifying Jenny, that. Brooklyn. Hold on. I've got a couple more. Uh, so all of these people saw weird news stories and sent them to me. Uh, uh, oh, I got one from, did I say Amy? 
I've got Cynthia. Uh, there's, there's a lot of them. So here's the deal. I am not obviously going to get to all of them, but I'm saving them because y'all sent me some really good ones. But right now, Glenn, here's the sad part of this whole thing. Do you know where we're not going? This no entire Florida? Time? Not going to Florida. Hey, we win or this week. Oklahoma. We win. We're going to East, each side of our country, and then we're going to go to other countries. First of all, we're going to start out in Los Angeles because the Los Angeles Fire Department was called out to a four-story apartment building. We need you. Fire department shows up. What seems to be the problem, ma'am? I'm stuck in the trash chute. Do what? Yes. At 8.12 p.m. on Tuesday evening, a woman had to, somebody called 911 because a woman had fallen 20 feet down into the trash chute from the roof of the building and was then trapped. So let's, Let's think about this. She's walking around the roof. There's a chute. Probably not open. She opens this thing and gets in and like starts falling down this trash chute. Rescue crews assess whether they could best reach her from the roof or the basement or breach the wall of the building. They finally decided to use a rope system, secured the roof, attach a harness and lower gently to safety. So she goes all the way down the trash chute down to presumably the trash pile. What is the one question? That you have after I told you that story. Why was she on the roof? The last sentence of the story is uh, two sentences. The woman has not been identified, but NBC Los Angeles reported she is 40 years old. It is not known how she fell into the chute. Then what kind of (laughs) journalist are you? Yeah, that's the question. That is the only question I had about this whole dang story. Apparently, uh, this is not the first woman to ever fall in a trash chute or human fall into a trash chute. Did you wonder also why there was a trash chute on the roof? You know, I didn't, but now I do. (laughs) And what was she doing on the roof? Exactly. There's another question. Again, nobody found out the actual important information, which is why (laughs) you're supposed to be a journalist who, what, when, where, why, how. You know, and there's many unanswered questions, but that's L.A. Now, hit it again. Uh, We're going to go to Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island. A woman is speaking out after she experienced a terrifying home invasion that, yes, was also caught on camera. (sighs) She's like a ring doorbell thing. And uh, Krista Brown, she works the overnight shift doesn't say what she does, but it's not important. She works the overnight shift. And so she went home Monday and went to bed and was taking a nap. And apparently she had people in her house, like her son was taking out the trash and, and then uh, but she's asleep and she feels somebody get in, get into her bed, you know, like, and snuggle up and drape their arm over her and try to spoon and she turned around thinking it was her boyfriend. And it was not her boyfriend. It was a naked man, complete stranger, that climbed, broke into her house, opened the front door, completely naked. That's all caught on ring. Uh, and walked into her house, completely naked. Walked up the stairs, completely naked to her bedroom. Apparently, there's humans in the house. Why didn't nobody see this naked man and catch him before he went to the bedroom? And went into the bedroom and climbed to bed with her. 
and snuggled. And then she freaked out, screamed. He ran down out the front door and then went to, apparently there's some ladder steps to go up to the third floor where she, they, he ran up there and um, that was not his home either. The police report identifies a naked man as Jason Kendrick. And upon leaving the first floor home, he went up to the third floor where the lady who's asleep, her brother lives. He's been hearing all sorts of screaming and everything. So they apparently Krista Brown said Kendrick reentered her home four or five more times before her family eventually got him to leave. They called the police. They said he appeared confused. Okay, there's a lot of questions here. Like, why didn't she lock the door after the first time? A candlestick to the head? Yeah. Like, is something? <laughs> There's a lot of questions here. Nuts? My guess is um, alcohol was involved. Was alcohol involved? I'm assuming probably something more than, than alcohol. alcohol. It yeah. does not say. <laughs> Providence police did arrest Kendrick at the house next door. Wait for it. Where it is said he lives. Oh, he lives next door. Maybe he just thought he was at the right house. How did they not know this is our neighbor? <laughs> well, they hadn't seen him naked before. This is your next door neighbor, and you're like, this weird dude is in my house naked, and he's running in, and he's like, probably going, I live here, I live here. We don't know our neighbors anymore, Jamie. Nobody knows our neighbor anymore. I would know if my neighbor walked up in my house again. (laughs) Like, their their house is right next door. I mean, you at least know what they look like because you drive up. You're like, hey, Bill, you know, and whatever. No, no. So apparently she's having um, post-traumatic stress involved no <laughs> in all of this. She does not plan on moving out of her family home, but she is looking to install an alarm system. And how about a better lock on the door? <laughs> how about just lock the door? The door. <laughs> well, what is the secret to life, Glenn? Do you know? The secret what to the life secret- is chocolate. You're wrong, because we're going to go to Canberra, Australia, because Australia's oldest ever living Well, you didn't say Australia, and I could have changed my answer to beer. (laughs) Beer is the secret to life. It's even better than beer. (laughs) Australia's oldest man, he's a retired cattle rancher. His name is Dexter Kruger, and on Monday, he became Australia's oldest man ever at 111 years old. Wow. Okay. Wait a minute, let me figure that out. That means I would live for another 51 years. Oh, nobody wants that, um, <laughs> including you. Yeah, uh, so, so, so uh, he gets interviewed. They're like, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation uh, needs to do an interview at his nursing home in the rural Queensland's state town of Roma days before the milestone. Uh, and so they sit down with him and they're like, Dexter Kruger, please tell me what is the secret to your life. And he says that there is a delicacy that has contributed to his longevity. Oh my God. This is I the don't quote. No. <laughs> it's this always is the quote. It's always usually 12 whiskeys a day and, and four packs of cigarettes. But. It's better. Um, I wish I could do an Australian accent because I just don't feel like I'm going to do it right. But here we go. This is his quote Chicken brains. You know, chickens have a head. And in there, there's a brain and they are delicious little things. There's only one little bite though. I was just going to say, how many chickens does it take to get a meal? <laughs> Chicken brains, mate. You know, chickens have a head and in that there's a brain and they're delicious little things. Only one little bite. <laughs> 
That isn't the answer I was expecting. Uh, they did go to say that his memory is amazing for a 111-year-old. That's because he's been eating brains forever. <laughs> and his four whiskeys a day. <laughs> chicken brains, chicken mate. Bra- I didn't know people ate chicken brains. Apparently this guy does. Yes. <laughs> All right, final story. Um, there... <laughs> We're going to go to New Zealand this time. So we're going to stick around that part of the world. Uh, Workers at a French fries factory in New Zealand. So basically what happens is potatoes come down a conveyor belt. Okay. And as these potatoes come down the conveyor belt, the workers, they work at what's called the potato reception area of the factory. And I guess they pick and choose which ones are going to go where. And uh, Richard... Tura Terukura, Richard Terukura, found a very muddy potato. So he said, it looked very much like a muddy potato. Uh, And the guys were really calm and collected. They reacted in an extremely professional manner because the worker picked up the muddy potato and was like, what is this? We need to clean it off. So he walks over to the sink. And he starts to clean off the mud of the potato. And uh, it's a grenade. I was going to guess a grenade. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a grenade. A police real one? Were called, yes. Police were called to the factory, and they summoned the New Zealand Defense Forces Explosive Ordnance Disposal Team. That's a thing. <laughs> well, you know the what? New if it Zealand- didn't blow up when he was washing it, it probably wasn't going to blow up. Probably going to get, they determined it, they determined, the bomb squad determined it was a Mills bomb, a hand grenade common during World War II. They then x-rayed the grenade and found it to be non-explosive, likely Uh. used for training purposes. However, they did keep it. And the potato factory, (laughs) the, the, the main guy of the potato factory says, he's hoping the police will return the grenade to the company. So it can be displayed in the factory's, quote, trophy room. (laughs) Why does a potato factory have have a trophy trophy room? room. (laughs) Well, they probably sponsor baseball teams. (laughs) (laughs) This potato factory sponsorship got our Little League team uniforms. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's it for the weird news. I've got so many more that we just didn't have time for. By the way, we wouldn't have done done the story if it had blown up and he had been in 20 pieces. We wouldn't have done done the story. Glenn won't let me do deaths. So the (laughs) one person that sent me a really funny but not funny death story, I can't. He won't let me do those. (laughs) (laughs) No no, no death stories. Otters, hang on. We're going to review the list of things that you wanted us to talk about today. And we're going to talk about how ridiculous they are. So we're going to do that in the post-show. Uh, but before you go today, I have a quote for you. And this has been going around. And uh, I just loved it. It's Boyd Martin. And oh, I, know- I love this. Yes. It's so good. And we'll leave you with this today. And this is Boyd Martin, the, uh, the Olympic inventor, said this. If you're not worried or nervous about something you've worked hard on, there's something wrong with you. It's a privilege to do something that makes you feel that way. If you're attempting to do something that scares the hell out of you, that means you're trying to do something with your life. So we're Amen, just brother. Leave you with that today. And we have Mary and Jennifer tomorrow for a training episode, and then we'll be back. So if it's really bad ads on Friday, get your ads into Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. Spain your gown, everybody.
Okay, auditors, before we get on with your helpful list of suggestions here, <laughs> um, we are going to let you know first that Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, we're doing a rare thing. We're getting Jamie on camera. And she's going to be on camera with Monty, and she has a whole bunch of questions that Monty's going to answer live on Facebook. So we'll be on the Monty page, we'll be on the Auditor page, we'll be on the Horse Radio Network pages, but uh, that's right. I think we did this once before during COVID, but that might be the only time we've ever done it. Uh, Well, and and also, in that same vein, if you guys have questions for Monty, let me know. I'll put up a post in the Auditor's page. Okay, and she'll be asking Monty the questions live in person. Yep. And we'll post that audio on the Horsemanship Radio podcast and also on Horses in the Morning, too. We'll take it and put it out in case you missed the live. We'll we'll, we'll actually put the post out as a special episode. So this morning I asked, what do you want Jamie and I to discuss in the post show today? And I, I haven't the seen these. So. All right. Well, they were very helpful. So uh, Flossie said something stupid funny. Well, Flossie, the idea was you were supposed to give us something stupid funny to talk about. I think I did stupid funny already. Yeah, I think you've accomplished that. So we're good there. Maybe not a post-show topic, but what features and things do you look for when buying a horse trailer and truck? Definitely not a post-show topic. That's a regular show topic. It has to run. Yeah, exactly. But we well, that's a good one to do in a regular show. Uh, Jessica was a real help. She said good juicy drama. I gave you the April story. That was pretty tr- that's good drama. Yeah. Um, Gina said, what's a misconception about a place you've traveled to that evaporated when you visit? You know, I'll, I'll change that. I have one. I'll change that the opposite that way. Uh, in other words, it had a misconception. You went there and the misconception wasn't true. That'd be one you'd really have to think about. But when we went to Scotland, I my conception was they speak English and I'd be able to understand everything they said. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Was, that was misconception I had about going to Scotland was they actually speak English. They do actually uh, speak know, English. But when I went to Jamaica, I I was really displeased at the difference in what was inside my little hotel, my little resort, and outside my oh, little yeah. resort. Yeah. And so I d- will never go back. <laughs> no. I will never go back. Yeah. That's true. What do okay, you? We had we had one for that. <laughs> there we go. Laura said, "What are you planning for your new garden, Glenn?" Well, did you all see? I got a great big bird for the monolith out back for yes. for Mary's house, and the bird looks so good in it. It was a perfect bird. That was ninety. I will tell you. You paid ninety dollars for that bird. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what, though. It makes me happy every time I look because the bird looks like it belongs in there. It's it the right color. Now, yeah, I don't right know. If you should have done this before Easter. You might be going to hell. <laughs> It's true. We kept the saint. Remember the saint we had in there that we found in the yard? We got yes. rid of all the creepy cherubs, but we kept the saint because I thought that we would go to hell. So it's still out in the backyard. Uh, and yes, I have been working on the backyard. And yes, I have been getting in trouble for spending too much money on plants. So there you go. And I did get peppers because remember I told you the people that lived here before, the 80-year-old Puerto Rican couple had a million peppers grown in the backyard. Well, I got peppers and they're growing nicely. So there you go. That was to honor them uh, being I. We put a bird in the monolith. Um, what are you planning? Uh, uh, Jennifer asked, can you reap? Oh, okay, let's forget that one. Uh, Paige asked, anything Jamie can be furious or cuss about? <laughs> you got to give me something to talk about. I her. just told you about the rabbit. That kind of, like, see, I like it. that was post-show stuff. I, I probably shouldn't have done all that on the regular oh, I show. I think it was funny, though. It was funny. On the regular show. I can't find my message. Speaking of, I got to go feed my 
rabbit. That's right. My mouse died and I can't move the thing. So uh, one more. Uh, oh, Marie says more TV shows since the last one. Uh, last recommendation was so great. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. One. We so so Lucas and I've been watching the um, we're gonna go back to ghosts. We Lucas and I've been watching the American version of ghosts, but there's a British version. Yeah. So Chad was home. It? He finally and he, uh, the regular ghost. Oh, we love it. But love, you, love, love. You it. tried the British one because we haven't tried. So yet. so last night I'm trying to tell you. Last night Chad's home and he's like, "What are you guys watching on TV?" We're like, "Well, we're on like episode ten of Ghosts, so uh, why don't we start the British one together?" And so I was like, "Great idea." So we started the British one. I had to turn it off. Dirty. I had to turn it off. It was way too fucking scary. Scary. Oh, they did it more like scary. ghost. Scary. <laughs> it was scary. Those people in the basement. Oh my god. And then there was like a little girl. And then there's like the, the the guy. I can't do people with their heads cut off. And that guy was a major player in the British version. And I'm like, I can't. I can't see. Did you notice that they only did that once with us with him in this version? Yes, and, and I much appreciate yeah. that because I don't do. And you're right. Like, so the people in the basement could be scary. Now here they make them kind of funny, but they're pretty terrifying in the British. I don't know. I, I just everything was really scary. There was like a little girl that came out. Oh my god, it was terrifying. Oh, and you so can't have I, dead ghost kids. That's <laughs> that's. And she was singing a song to oh, be. No, they were no, trying no, to no, haunt no, no. people. Ah, <laughs> no, uh, uh, nope, too scary. And I'm sure it's meant to be funny. British people are funny, but I'm not. I just I don't do scary at all. It was too scary. So we got about halfway through, and I was like, Lucas, do you like this? He was like. Not really. And I was like, it's kind of scary. He goes, so they right? definitely Americanized the American version. Oh, yeah. yeah. Made it uh, Jamie friendly. <laughs> so that was a TV show. So Ghost is, is kind of what we're watching. I finished The Tinder Swindler. Um, the Tinder it's a, Swindler? It's oh, about a bunch of girls. A documentary. That, yeah, I yeah. gave money to a guy on Tinder. So I will I'll, I'll tell you what we'll do. I don't know if you, want, do you have any of these, but we have some. I have a bunch of people I follow and have really gotten to watch on YouTube, regular YouTubers that are kind of fun. So I will, I'll make a list of YouTubers and maybe we'll do that in a post show one day. Okay. Cause I watch YouTubers too, but cool. usually they're playing video games and talking to children. <laughs> and I got to go cause my mouse died and I can't even shut the, I can't even shut the recorder off. So I need a new battery. But the problem is, I don't know where the batteries are. I don't unpack those yet. There okay. might be no show today, because I can't turn the thing off. All right. Thanks, everybody. All right. Bye. Hang on, Jamie. I got to talk to you, though.